2: Matt Agostino, Wes Chang here with you. We have got some juice on the Cuse. It is the Juice on the Cues podcast, in fact, as we take a look back at Syracuse's home win over Niagara, 83-71 on Thursday, last game before the holiday. And uh, they've got quite the break until they resume ACC action against Pitt. We'll have some... Uh, talk about that game coming up next week uh in in the next segment, but first recapping the niagara game wes um eighty three seventy one workman like uh, I feel like maybe the best way to describe it um good game by a, f- a few different guys again, the bench was successful. What stood out to you in this one?
1: yeah, Matt, you just hit it right on the head, and I think you and I are starting to sound like broken records, but Syracuse's bench has really been coming through lately, so we were talking about this pre-show, 15 points, 10 rebounds, a double-double for Malik Brown off the bench, 12 points and eight assists from our growing favorite, Quadir Copeland. Kyle Cuff Jr. providing some steady minutes off the bench again, 7 points, three assists. So these guys are coming in. They're providing quality minutes. They're actually doing better than some of the starters, especially with Malik Brown. Uh, He's actually giving better, better, better minutes than McLeod. So I really like what I'm seeing from that. And, you know, we always talk about the biggest difference from the Jim Bayheim era to the Red Autry era as that switch from zone to man. That's the most noticeable, but I think the bigger impact probably is that Autry's not afraid to give regular minutes to nine guys. And Matt, I just wanted to close on this, which is you have to give credit to the fighting great policies. That's what you referred to him as last time from Niagara, Matt, again, you coached him, you watched him at Duke and at Syracuse playing quarterback, and they gave effort for all 40 minutes and really refused to go away after Syracuse took that early lead. So, you know, kudos to the Syracuse bench, kudos to the fighting Greg policies.
2: Uh, He may have actually burned more calories on the sidelines yesterday. Uh, I mean, he, he's that kind of fiery guy. Like when, when you hear he's going to Duke back when he's in high school, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. He seemed like the prototypical Steve Wojciechowski slap the floor, Duke point guard, and he's still doing it now in his coaching career kind of coaching those guys up. So you heard Eric Devendorf on the, on the broadcast yesterday, who knows Greg Pauls pretty well. Talk about just, you know, a leader of, of, of men, uh, Greg Paulus, It's, it's kind of their calling card. They're going to play a full 40 minutes on it, which, which Adrian Autry was a little critical of uh, Syracuse for their last four or five minutes, just kind of the way they didn't really close things out. Um, is that cause for concern for you as we kind of look through the schedule so far? Sure, they've they've gotten the wins. They've won the games they're supposed to win. They've had a couple of big blowouts, 49 points against Chaminade, uh, 23 against LSU, and 20 against Oregon. All good victories. But some of the other games that maybe I would have anticipated them winning by more than they have um, – They have just kind of been good enough to get the win, double-digit wins, but uh, 11-point wins against New Hampshire and Cornell, 12-point wins against Niagara and Canisius. Is that something that uh, Coach Autry should be more concerned about, or is that just a a byproduct of facing a team that's going to give you a full 40 minutes in Niagara?
1: No, Matt, I do think that's a dangerous pattern of Syracuse getting against these mid-major teams. When you look at some of the games that you just described, I think with the exception of that great comeback against Colgate – the pattern has always been to build up that double-digit lead and then let the opponent hang around for much longer than they should. And this is the quote from the Adrian Autry press conference. Now, he's normally a pretty affable guy during these, but then he really sticks it to his team. So the quote was, quote, the last four or five minutes, it was unacceptable. It was immature. I felt like we let our foot off the gas, end quote. So that that's a pretty searing indictment of the Syracuse basketball team. And I think he's right. You know, I don't think anyone can argue that, You know, those two teams that you talked about, New Hampshire and Canisius, and, you know, you throw in a Cornell that it didn't play out like this. They actually played more complete games against LSU and Oregon, in my opinion.
2: Okay, so between that, not not closing out the game the way Autry would have wanted them to. And also you're talking about the success of the bench so far. Is there a need to switch things up uh, in the starting lineup or in the rotation in general? Uh, you know, from me looking at things, you, you mentioned Malik Brown. He certainly has been very productive off the bench. your Copeland as well. And if you look at the starters, we know Raheem McLeod. And to me, that seems kind of like a Syracuse center kind of way. He's going to start the game. He's not going to play a ton of minutes. This is very Jeremy McNeil or Craig Forth-like or a, a lot of these uh centers in the Bayheim era where they're going to start. They may not play a ton of minutes, but that's the way they like to do things. So I, I feel like McLeod, regardless of the stats, may stay in there. But, uh, you know, is Justin Taylor a guy who could see himself maybe getting less minutes or trying to get him going almost as a spark plug off the bench? His shot has not been there. He is shooting uh, less than 40%, 34% from the floor um, and about 30 five percent from two-point range so his threes have been acceptable in the mid-30s but is not shooting the ball well overall but he's the leader in rebounds which doesn't make a ton of sense to me given his height you would think some of these other guys would lead the team in rebounds but do they look at doing something to the starting lineup and shaking things up whether it's bringing brown or copeland into the starting unit moving taylor to the bench or anything in between
1: Yeah, I think the best situation here would be to bring Quadir Copeland into the starting lineup. You know, I think there's an energy problem with that starting five right now. And you look at some of the, the efforts that you're getting from Chris Bell, who's pretty inconsistent with this shot, and Justin Taylor, who's been extremely inconsistent with this shot. I think you insert a Quadir Copeland in there, a glue guy that will actually get on the floor, get you that extra rebound, give you that extra pass. I think that would do a lot. And then you can have either Bell or Taylor come off the bench as an instant office kind of guy. You know, automatic green light because you don't have, you know, J.J. Starling or Judah Mintz on the floor at the same time. So if I were to make one lineup adjustment, it would be that to bring Quadir Copeland, probably for Justin Bell, maybe for Chris Bell. Let Justin me ask Taylor. you
2: this then. Um... If Copeland comes in, are you comfortable with Bell at the four? Uh, And are you comfortable with Copeland, Mintz, and Starling, three guys who maybe aren't the most reliable shooters from the outside on the floor to start the game all out there together?
1: I do, because I think it's not who starts, it's who finishes. But also, you really need that injection of energy in there, and that's exactly what Quadir Copeland gives you. I've been very high on Copeland since the beginning of the season. You're starting to see what he can do off the bench as well. So I think that lineup change would do a lot of good. And we're going to move on now to a very quick recap of the Boca Raton Bowl. Matt, there's not a lot that I would think we want to talk about other than saying burn the tape, but... Uh, You know, Syracuse gets throttled by USF. It is the first time in Syracuse football history they don't score at all in a bowl game. So uh, not a lot of positives to take away other than that it's over and they finish six and seven, right, Matt?
2: The Fran Brown era can officially begin now. Um, You get 159 yards against a team that was allowing about 450 per game this season. Um, Yeah, there's not much to say. This is uh, over, done with. And uh, bigger and better things for the Syracuse football team in the future.
1: Yeah, I, the one thing I wanted to point out is uh, super frustrating to me to watch um, as a fan is that, you know, you're down 40 plus points in the second half, You're still running Wildcat, which makes no sense to me. I think I would have liked to see what Braden Davis could do just as a thrower to see whether he'd be a good fit as a backup quarterback next year to Kyle McCord. So that was definitely a frustration point. And I think, you know, you have to pin some of that on the old coaching staff, but you know, uh, I want to end the football season on this, which is listening to Dan Villari, the spectacular Syracuse tight end talk afterward. He says that Fran Brown goes into that locker room and promises everyone that they listen to him. They buy into the program. That's the last time they're ever going to feel like that again. So let's put a cap on the Syracuse football season. The 2023 Syracuse football season is over. The Fran Brown era has officially begun.
2: Yeah, um, exciting, exciting things to come hopefully for that Syracuse football team. Uh, We'll get back into the basketball conversation coming up in just a minute. We'll talk Syracuse Pitt, the next game on the docket for Adrian Autry's club. Stay tuned here on the Juice on the Juice. How about the Juice on the Cuse podcast? It's the first time I've stumbled on that. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet to this point, but we're coming back and we'll speak English even better. Welcome back to the Juice on the Cuse podcast. We are joined now by Jim Hammond, who covers Pitt Panthers basketball for rivals. Uh, Jim, thanks for taking some time out to speak with us here as uh, the Panthers are next on the schedule for the Syracuse basketball team. And as we try and get a feel for what this ACC matchup has in store for us, give us a glimpse inside the Pitt Panther basketball program so far this season.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of heard you guys talking a little bit about Syracuse and I, I think you're going to see a lot of similarities with Pitt. I mean, uh, you you guys were mentioning, you know, some lineup changes and that's something Pitt has done lately. Um, they're very perimeter oriented. They have one of the better scorers in the ACC and Blake Hinson. So, it, and, you know, even their point guard, Bob Carrington, he kind of reminds me of Judah Mintz. He's kind of that same bigger, you know, kind of NBA style point guard. So, I mean, there's a lot of similarities between these two teams and, um, And even kind of the results show that too. I mean, you know, Pitt lost uh, their three toughest games so far. And I, you know, they've had some struggles with uh, the non-conference games. I mean, they, you know, didn't really put it on Purdue for Fort Wayne the other day, but, you know, it's kind of going up and down. And uh, I think that's kind of what we expected from this team. I mean, they have, uh, you know, just one senior in the, in the rotation and it kind of shows.
1: Jim, talk to us about the. Give us the Pitt scouting report. Who should we be looking out for on the opposition?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's two players. Whenever you look at Pitt, that you really need to know. It, it, it's Blake Henson uh, He's uh, number two in the ACC in scoring right now. And uh, like I mentioned, Bob Carrington, uh, one of the top freshmen in the country. So, I mean, I think everything kind of runs through those two. And I, I think that's you know kind of a blessing and a curse because a lot of those, a lot of the times, those two are doing the bulk of the scoring along with Ishmael Leggett. But they haven't really found that kind of that fourth scoring option they that, that I mentioned they were kind of tinkering with the lineup uh they've had uh two new starters in the past two games so it, it, that's kind of a work in progress but you know what Pitt's gonna do is attack you from the perimeter uh Blake Henson's one of the top three-point shooters in the country uh he has range from the second he uh you know crosses half court I mean he will shoot from anywhere that's just kind of his game uh, he's a kind of a bigger guy but he likes to hang out on the perimeter and Bob Carrington's the same way he's a uh, you know, definitely growing as a freshman point guard. He doesn't really drive a ton, but he he settles for a lot of jumpers. But, you know, a lot of the times they go in and whenever they're both clicking, they're tough to defend.
2: So uh, Syracuse losing its ACC opener against Virginia uh, a week or two ago. Um, This is the next one that Syracuse has got on the schedule as far as conference play goes. How do you see this matchup unfolding? Uh, Pitt, going to be able to pull out a victory here. Are we going that far? Do you like Cuse? Uh How do you see this one playing
0: out? It's funny because this game like happened the exact same time, like two years in a row. Like this was right before New Year's last year. And it was kind of like the second ACC game for both teams. So last year that pit team was kind of finding themselves. Like, you know, they didn't start so hot, but they had one of their better seasons under Jeff Capel and he kind of really turned it around. And that Syracuse game was a big, you know, kind of catalyst for them. So it's kind of tough to project because they've kind of played a little sloppy around the holidays. And I don't think that's uncommon. Um, you know, whenever you're coming off finals and you're kind of, you get that, you know, 10 days off before Christmas, sometimes guys, I don't want to say they pack it in, but you, you could kind of tell like the effort wasn't there. So I'm I'm interested to see how the 10 day layoff goes for this team. But I mean, whenever they're, they're connecting on their shots and Hinson's on, I mean, they're really tough to defend. So I I think it's going to be a classic pit Syracuse game. I mean, I think it's, you know, the coaches have changed. It's not Jamie Dixon and Jim Bayheim anymore, but I mean, I think stylistically, it's going to look like what it always kind of looks like. I kind of wanted to follow up there
2: with, with Capel. You mentioned him, uh, you know, he's had a couple of high profile stops in his career. Kind of what's his calling card with Pitt? What's the identity that he wants to make sure that his pit teams have?
0: Yeah, it's interesting with his tenure, because he's in year six, and the first four weren't very good. And I mean, I I think we were at the point where we were kind of wondering if he'd come back for year five, and he did, and that was kind of the year they had to make something happen, and, you know, they kind of broke through. They made the NCAA tournament last year for the first time in his tenure, so that was kind of big. So I I think right now, like, this team, like I said, is very perimeter-oriented. I mean, They have some big guys, and that's kind of what's going on inside. I mean, they have Guillermo Diaz-Graham. He's a sophomore. He's starting right now. He kind of replaced Federico Federico, who was the starter last year. So that's kind of – they're kind of tinkering with the lineup. Uh, 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 Diaz-Graham kind of brings a little bit more offense. So, I mean, I think, you know, the way Pitt's going to attack you and what what their calling card is, is just having weapons on the perimeter. And I think Henson can do that, and I think Carrington can do that, and I think Leggett can do that as well.
2: Perimeter weapons seems to be the uh, the way many teams, pro and college, seem to be going these days. Jim Hammett uh, with Panther Layer for Rivals covering Pit Sports. We appreciate some time, and uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jim. Back here on the Juice and the Q's podcast, Matt D'Agostino, Wes Chang joining you. Wes, uh, Bertie tells me you have a Syracuse recruiting tidbit, a, a nugget you'd like to pass along here for our final thought in this one.
1: Yeah, Matt, I'll close the show today, as you mentioned, on a recruiting note. So Marcellus Barnes Jr., he's a four-star 2024 cornerback in the Rivals 250. He's going to announce his decision on January 6th at the All-American Bowl. So Syracuse, Ole Miss in Georgia, appear to be his final three finalists, and the Orange has put itself in very good position to land. And he tells rivals that he was, quote-unquote, blown away by his official visit to Syracuse two weekends ago. So there's a lot of smoke around his recruitment. Just another example of Fran Brown getting to these recruits, getting Syracuse in a position to be able to land elite talent like this. And you heard here first, I think he's coming to Syracuse.
2: I don't know what's in the Kool-Aid that Fran Brown has been serving up, but uh, I, I wanna, I'm want i drinking it. I'm, I want to see what's in it. Uh, there's just so much positive vibes going through the program right now. And again, like in previous years, you hear Syracuse even in the conversation for four-star guy. That's awesome. But Syracuse, Ole Miss, and Georgia, up until a couple weeks ago, like one of those one of these things is not like the other. Um, and here they are in the mix for these guys that you're saying, you know, top 250 guys, um, seemingly left and right. So Uh, fingers crossed, we'll see what happens, but maybe another big recruit heading to Central New York to play for Syracuse football. That'll do it here for the Juice on the Cues podcast. Wes Chang, Matt D'Agostino, we'll catch you next time right back here on the Believe Network.